30 pieces of silver is an amount that comes up a lot when we're discussing the arrest and trials of Jesus because it's the amount that the uh, Jewish leaders paid Judas for the information they got from him. Let's talk about that amount and some of what the Lord wants us to know about it. I'm Pastor Russell and this is Beyond the Notes. Welcome to Beyond the Notes, 30 Pieces of Silver edition. When we come upon that amount in the course of the last days of Jesus's earthly ministry, I'm going to, rather than the, the John account, which doesn't mention 30 pieces of silver, John gives us some information about Judas's betrayal of Jesus. All four Gospels do, but it's Matthew that gives us this particular uh, most most thorough set of details. And in Matthew chapter 26, verse 14, when Judas first goes to the uh, Jewish leadership with his willingness to betray Jesus, it's in Matthew 26, 14, then one of the 12, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he, that is Judas, sought an opportunity to betray him. Now, again, for background, what's just happened to Judas, probably uh, the, the precipitating incident, is Judas has, has uh, critiqued the anointing of Jesus' feet with the expensive uh, ointment. And in the course of that, Jesus has kind of called Judas out and rebuked him. And that rebuke stung. And so that was the, the straw that broke the camel's back for Judas. We know from uh, early on in John chapter 12, we learned that Judas was an embezzler all along. He was no follower of Christ. We've dealt with that in other places. Here, I just want to talk about the amount. What's the significance of the chief priest's 30 pieces of silver? Now, one could argue that it's just what they were willing were willing to pitch in at Judas. Recall that what Judas is actually selling them is a piece of intelligence information, and that is where can they predictably find Jesus when he's not in the presence of a bunch of other people so that they can make their arrest without risking causing any public rioting. That's why on that Thursday night into the early hours of Friday morning when they did come for Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was the location of the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus's tendency to retreat there. That's the item of information that Judas actually sold them. But 30 pieces of silver. I want us to look at it from three different perspectives. There's, a, there's an economic significance to the number, though it might not be what you think it is. There's a cultural significance to the number. And then there's a prophetic significance to the number. And I think all three are worth talking about. The big takeaway that I want you to get, and I'll go ahead and put it up front. If you've got any area of your life where you would sense or fear that God is not in control, some sense of, of okay, things here are just uh, adrift on a really troubled sea and the waves are battering it, the wind's battering it, and this part of my life is just just chaotic and 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 very badly, so badly out of control that I doubt even God is in control of it. Look, I'll give you that you probably aren't. There's any number of areas of your life where, let's face it, between you and me, we can be honest, you're not in control. But 
the the depth of detail that shows up in this 30 pieces of silver thing, an incidental number that was probably just thrown out by the chief priests. They probably even thought it was the opening of a negotiation, though Judas didn't negotiate. All of that is going to be so indicative of a sovereign God's control. The first thing I want you to see is sort of the cultural significance of the number. Um, If you go all the way back to Exodus chapter 21, Exodus 21 has a whole paragraph about what you owe if you own an ox and your ox gores somebody to death. Now, we probably would not be able to cite. Maybe some of you who are, I don't know, livestock lawyers might be able to cite something in the Florida Penal Code about what happens if you're A bull or your ox gores somebody to death. It's fascinating to me that the Old Testament law goes to that level of death. And the the paragraph is actually Exodus 21, 28 down through 32. And the gist of it is this. If your ox gores somebody to death, uh, you're not criminally liable. The ox itself has to be stoned to death because now this ox has shown that it's got a tendency to, to kill somebody. And, and there are various penalties for, for that you have to make the victim's family whole. The ox is going, you are not criminally liable. However, if you knew you owned an ox that had a tendency to put people to death, then you yourself are put to death if it does it again. If you had a warning and your ox did it again, well, then you're put to death. But the interesting and relevant verse for our discussion today is the last verse of the paragraph which tells you what you owe if your ox gores somebody else's slave to death. If the ox gores, verse 32, if the ox gores a slave, male or female, the owner shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver and the ox shall be stoned. I've heard it said that the 30 pieces of silver was the price of a slave, and that's not exactly right. It's the penalty due to make the slave owner whole if your ox kills a slave. So it's the blood price of a slave, 30 pieces of silver. Now, do I think that the the chief priests had this specific paragraph in mind? Um, You could make the case, I suppose. I think it's a bit of a stretch. I just think it's it's sort of a a coincidental alignment. Uh, So the cultural significance is this is is coming from the blood price of a slave. The economic significance, by the way, is not actually not much. Uh, 30 pieces of silver would translate, and various commentators are all over the place. And, of course, uh, a speculator would say, well, it depends on the price of of spot silver. But the most most, uh, high-end guess I can find is still less than $500. It's, It's somewhere in the three to $400 range in today's dollars. This is not life-changing economic money. Judas did not do this so that he would be economically set for life, <laughs> though the rest of his life could be measured in single-digit hours at the time of his actual betrayal of Jesus. He died very soon thereafter. So the economic significance is not much. The cultural significance is the price you would owe if your ox killed somebody else's slave. Ah, but the prophetic significance. You see, there's a passage. It's in Zechariah 11. And you might not have recently done your quiet time in Zechariah 11. But there's a paragraph where 
The Lord, speaking through the prophet Zechariah, says, take up the role of a shepherd of Israel, and I'm going to paraphrase it, take up the role of a shepherd of Israel, but when you find that Israel will not be shepherded, and you ask them to just buy you out of that role. Um, This is Zechariah 11, beginning in verse 12. Then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages. That is, if you will not be shepherded, Let's negotiate a a severance. Give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Um, It seems like a not terribly significant sort of throwaway moment, but it becomes prophetically interesting. And uh, in the Gospels, the master um, gospel uh, pointer-outer, can that be a word? I don't think that's a word. The one of the four Gospels that is most masterful (coughs) at pointing out Old Testament prophetic fulfillment is Matthew. There is more explicit citation of Old Testament prophetic fulfillment in the Gospel of Matthew than any other Gospel. And this is in Matthew 27. Uh, Matthew 27, beginning in verse, uh, well, verse 3, actually. Uh, Matthew 27, beginning in verse 3. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned. This is, uh, Judas's actual act of betrayal takes place in the wee hours of the morning, just after midnight in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is hours later when Jesus has been through his several trials and he is, He is going to be sentenced or has been sentenced to death. It's still probably pre-dawn. But uh, Judas, his betrothal, you're you're five hours, maybe six hours after the act of betrayal. It's been only that few hours, only that short span of time since Judas executed his betrayal. But then when Judas, his betrayer, Matthew 27, 3, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. He felt terrible about it, but he didn't repent. By the way, that's that's an important footnote. You can feel terrible about your sin and not repent of it. It's not feeling bad about your sin that constitutes repentance. It's agreeing with God about your sin such that you become very eager that God the Holy Spirit would lead you to to effective change. Doesn't mean that once you repent of a sin, you'll never do it again. Not at all. But you will hate your sin more than just regret it if you've actually repented. Judas had a great deal of sadness over his sin, but he never repented and cried out for salvation. They said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed. And he went and he hanged himself. But the chief priest, taking the piece of silver, said, It's not lawful to put them into the treasury since it's blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. They bought a small plot of land on the edge of the city dump. They didn't have that much money in the land they bought was not good land. But they did buy this small piece of land. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, 
And they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Now that citation in Matthew is a paraphrase of the prophetic scripture we just read. And some of you who have very sharp ears have caught something that's, that's worth pointing out. Um, Matthew attributes that paraphrase that he gives to Jeremiah. But the scriptures you and I read are in Zechariah. So said the cynics. Aha, said the cynics. Matthew has cited the wrong prophet. Well, be careful sitting with the cynics. Um, Matthew gets it right. But in what sense does he get it right? I'm glad you asked. The, the literate Old Testament scholars of Matthew's day, of which Matthew, as a, as a reasonably educated man and one who was very familiar with the Old Testament, would have understood the Old Testament in three divisions, the law, the writings, and the prophets. And the prophets, the last section of the Hebrew Old Testament, the first book in that section of the Hebrew Old Testament is the book of Jeremiah. So speaking of Jeremiah is a shorthand way of speaking of the entirety of the Old Testament's prophetic section. And so he's using a shorthand section title, not the literal prophet, when he refers to a citation from Zechariah by referring to Jeremiah. See, these things are explainable if you'll take the time to look them up. Hey, there's a lot going on there. I just wanted you to see that 30 pieces of silver means something, that the Lord was fulfilling an Old Testament prophecy by that amount, though the chief priest didn't know they were doing it, was calibrating it to culture in that amount, which the chief priest may have meant to do, tying it to the blood price of a slave as some sort of insult. I just wanted you to get this takeaway, that God's sovereignty shows up in the details. He's got the big stuff of life just as well. Hey, I hope by now you're, you're catching these uh, episodes frequently. I hope you have subscribed. I hope you're liking and sharing Beyond the Notes. And I look forward to being with you in the future on other episodes of Beyond the Notes. Beyond the Notes.